What would our world be without leaders, innovators, and kingdom builders? Welcome to Under the Crown, where you get inside the twisted minds of our host, Trey Carmichael, and the kings and queens in his circle. Covering leadership, marketing, sales, recruiting, management, and so much more. Under the Crown is here to help you build your kingdom. Are you prepared for the siege? What's going on, guys? It's your man here, Trey Carmichael, coming at you with another episode of Under the Crown. I've got I've got my man Dom Fossett on the show today. How you doing today, brother? Outstanding, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day out in Texas. Uh, thanks for the invite, first of all. And uh might be beautiful there. It's about 117 here in Phoenix. So uh, maybe one day out there is beautiful, just not today. <laughs> oh, man, I left Arizona a couple days ago. It was 113 when I was driving out of there, and I was happy uh, to be leaving. <laughs> right? Seriously. Oh, it's crazy. It'll cool down, though. Yeah, well. Awesome, man. So I always like to dive into like, what is the story of Dom? How did you get to be the be the man that gets to do all the incredible things that you get to do today? Um, I'll just kind of give you the the brief synopsis. Um, grew up in Southern California, San Bernardino to be exact. Um, grew up for a portion of my life, Section Eight. Joined uh, the military, fresh out of high school. Um, did four years in the Air Force. I was K nine, so I had a dog. I was a was called a a military working dog handler. Uh, I left the military and I became a cop. I was a cop in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, and learned a lot there, if you could imagine. Um, then I left law enforcement, got into the corporate space, worked for a company called HSBC, got into like the mortgage uh, sales side of things. Um, from there, they just went to different companies, finally got into leadership. And I think uh, when I landed at Chase Bank, um, I was a VP at one of their call centers. And then from Chase, I went to Wells Fargo, ran another part of their, another department Then I went to another bank. Um, I got it. I'm a speaker and a coach, uh, executive coach, leadership speaker. I got into speaking um, as a veteran. I was leaving Walmart. Um, one day, and I saw this older veteran. He had he was Navy. He had a sh- some ship and USS as something on his hat, and he had to be about eighty. And when I saw him, I was like, like dude, I So leadership is something that's kind of 
always been in my blood. And, and, and at the time, I was a corporate executive. And, and I just said, you know what? I'll just start speaking. Like, I, I had no clue that it was like a business. Um, I just knew that I wanted to learn as much as I could about leadership and speak on leadership. And I was like, I'm going to do it for free because I didn't know any better. So I started speaking at my company. I would get with like junior leadership or managers or executives, and we would have like board meetings or town halls, and I would just speak on leadership. Um, got involved with the John Maxwell team. Just I, I needed content, right? And then I started recording the content on my social media. I didn't have social media at the time. Started using social media. And I did a video a day on leadership. And the purpose of that was just so my, my, my staff, um, my direct reports, they were on their phones at the time. I like, I'm not going to argue with you about you being on your phone, but if you're going to be on Instagram, because I didn't know much about it, but I knew that if, if you're on Instagram, like, and I'm posting stuff, my stuff's going to pop up. So long story short, I started doing videos every single day. Like, and my goal was to do this for like 15 years because in 15 to 20 years, I'm going to retire. I'll be like 60 at the time. Um, and I'll be known because to me, it would have taken 20 years to be seen as a leadership expert. Um, and that was, that literally was my game plan. And I was like, I'll just write a book. So I hired a guy to help me write a book. Um, I had my first year out, been on Fox, CBS, NBC, because I knew I need some relevancy. And to me, being on the news is a thing. Started a podcast, hated doing the podcast. But from there, somebody was like, dude, you do realize people get paid to speak. I'm like, really? So I Googled it and it was like $11 billion industry at the time. And I was like, oh, cool. All I need to do is like get like a very minute piece of the pie. I'll be set for the rest of my life. I had no plans on quitting my job because I was getting paid well. Zero college. Mo all of my employees had degrees. Um, they had masters. They had, you know, uh, um, bachelors in math. Like they were educated individuals, but I always spoke well. Like I, I knew the game. I knew how to interview. Always got the jobs I interviewed for. And um, somebody gave me a thousand bucks one day to speak. And I'm like, I'm from the streets. If you gave me a thousand, I already know some, like, you're not giving me all the money they gave you. That's just not smart money. So I was like, how much did you make? He's like, they gave me three grand. I gave you a grand to speak for a couple hours. I'm like, bet. Cause at the time I was riding motorcycles. I just needed motorcycle parts. That's how I thought about it. I didn't know it was a business. And I started speaking. Then I started getting asked to speak places just because I was leveraging social media. Didn't know much about it. I started when I was 37, I'm 45 now. And then one day my boss hears me on Fox. He's in the shower, hears me on Fox doing some interview or whatever. And he comes into work. He's like, bro, um, I was naked when I heard your voice in my household. I'm going to need that never to happen again. Why don't you just leave? Like, he's like, I'm a corporate guy. You're not a corporate guy. You, you're a speaker. I'm like, nah, dude, I'm getting paid this 130 grand a year plus the annual bonus. This is easy money. He's like, but you could probably make more money out of here. So I, I reached out to a couple of people on social media. And started finding out about how this whole speaker coaching thing works. And um, probably six months later, I left. And that was six and a half, seven years ago. Do not look back. I haven't looked back on it at all. I've had, I mean, ups and downs, ebbs and flows as any business. But I'd, I'd say I've been blessed um, over the last seven years uh, just as an entrepreneur. That's incredible, man. So how did these skills that you picked up in the military, or actually, let's go, let, Let's rewind even a little bit further. What was it about the military that drew you in over there? Um, so growing up, 
you either go to college, join the military, or live on the streets. There was no like staying in the house after 18, after you graduated. So I didn't have the grades to go to college. You, you know how hot it is in Arizona, so I'm not living in the streets. And uh, the military was the next best thing for me. So my, both my parents are Air Force, and I, I joined. And um, I, I, I went in pararescue, and during my, some of my training, uh, one swim in particular, I failed the swim test by seven seconds. There's no redo. So I got washed out of that program and I got a K-9 slot, which was a blessing in disguise because being K-9, when you get deployed, you're by yourself a lot. It's just you and your dog. Um, and I learned how to communicate. I learned effective communication. Um, I learned confidence because you're in the middle of nowhere overseas. It's just you and a dog and, you know, the closest person out might be five minutes away. Um, and that's kind of booking it via radio, then you learn how to kind of handle things on your own. And then I learned a lot in law enforcement um, on how to create a control in really any environment. So those really taught me effective communication. I'm not a big dude. I'm like 5'11", 220 pounds. And when I say I'm not big, I'm not big for like the streets as a cop. I mean, guys are suspects or criminals oftentimes are like, they're, they're big boys. So me using my hands all the time wasn't always effective. So learning how to communicate um, in certain situations, I would say, assisted me in my leadership development. And then I just got better over time with it. Hmm. So I believe that you call that command presence, correct? Definitely. So what does that actually mean to you? And how has that developed over time? Um, it's, I learned it in K-9 school. Um, and I don't remember the class because there's phases in canine school, but it, I, I, I really implemented it as a cop. Um, and the way I did it was uh, intel. Like if you're serving warrants, some, a lot of times intel will tell you there's three individuals in the house. Here's the individuals you have to ascertain an arrest of one, two. So I'm the time I was young, I'm like three people, I, I can go in and handle myself. But oftentimes you knock on the door, they don't answer. So you kick in the door and there's not three people, there's like six, but you don't have the luxury of pressing pause. This isn't a game. Like you have to immediately um, affect this, you know, look at the situation and figure out exactly what you're gonna do in like in milliseconds. So typically you knock out the biggest dude, um, out of six people, three are gonna run out the back door and you, you know, I'm an experienced fighter. So this, you know, I had years of kickboxing prior to this, um, plus a lot of just confidence. And I realized you do this time and time again, that people are afraid of just everything. And when somebody kicks in a door, no matter what's going on, they just stand still and look at you. They're not trained to engage. And after years of doing this, I'm like, like the presence in the room, I just commanded it. And I started implementing that in my leadership in the corporate space, command presence. Like when an employee would come and talk to me or ask me questions and they would stumble or they would, you know, him haul or be passive aggressive. I'm like, bro, just command presence. Get to the point you want to do. And how do you show up as a leader in this communication? Like just our conversation, how do you lead? I'm like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Command presence, right? Don't show up late, command presence. And I, it didn't really become part of my brand because it was just part of me. It was part of Don Fawcett until probably the last two, two or three years. Uh, I started implementing it on stage because to me, it was just part of my life. I didn't think of it as a thing. And I would say it on stage 
Um, and I never defined what command presence was. Um, I allow other people to define how that looks in their life. I can just be an example, like a foundation of what command presence looks like. Like command presence now in my business is being very integral on social media, being very active on social media, uh, being a man of my word. Uh, I don't speak a lot when I'm out in public with business stuff and I'm very comfortable with who I am, right? Um, are there parts of me that I need to grow? Not change, but affect in a positive way? Of, of course, I think everybody has growth. And I, I parent with a command presence style um, and is really controlling every environment that you're in. And I start from the inside out. What, what does my environment feel like on the inside? And then it works out from there. Great question, by the way. So have you always been the more confident and charismatic person, or is that something that was more built through all of that training and all the experience? Um, no, this is the reason why I grew up stuttering. I stuttered. I had a speech therapist from first grade uh, every week all the way until like my junior year in high school. Like stuttered to the point where I, I just didn't talk because I couldn't say my name. Um, and it was just it was hard for me to stutter or hard for me to talk. So I didn't say much. Confidence comes by way of how I was raised. Um, I grew up in a rough environment. I'm the oldest of four. Rule in the household via my mom was, if anybody threatens your brother or your sister, if you don't knock them out, I'm going to knock you out. So I was forced in a way to protect, forced to fight. Um, and it was good. That was good for, for me. But I was also forced to look at different ways of existing in life. A lot of my friends went to prison. A handful of my friends ended up getting killed by the time they were 16 by gang violence. So I learned how to navigate um, different neighborhoods as I walked through them to go to school, then walk through them to come back home. And I just utilized that in a corporate space. And there's a thing that a lot of guys do called peacocking. And I would say, and it's not a bad thing. It's you, you just kind of show up the way that you need to show up in that moment, right? Whether you're an athlete, you don't feel like playing the game that day, you just peacock. Like you just, every dude has it in them to be somebody they don't want to be so they can win, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then over a period of time, I just become more and more comfortable within self. And I think it just, it's, it's just, it's just that. Um, being married to a woman that is also very confident in her skill set. Uh, helps out a lot. Um, her, her and I flow very well, but I also enjoy life, right? I like to have fun. So if I, if I feel a certain way, I'm going to act on that, right? Like I felt on Friday that I needed to take a, do a staycation um, and then go, go do something fun and stay at a resort. So my wife and I did that. But in doing that, I ended up meeting a guy who runs a big dental office out of Texas and I didn't bring up anything about speaking. I guess it came up briefly. So he asked me as he's walking out, he's like, you, do you do small events? I'm like, yeah, we exchange information. Um, so doing that is going to pay for everything that I spent over the weekend and, and, and more. So I'm very intuitive. I'm very in line with, I, I call it bridging the gap between your mind and your heart. Um, I feel when I started, I was like, mind, heart, here. Now I'm, I'm, I'm very dialed in. But that's because my circle is small. Um, I'm a very, I'm a man of my word and I'm very open about things on social media, whether it's mental health, whether it's my relationship with my wife, um, whether it's being a parent, you know, whether it's me in that business. 
So what pe people are very comfortable with the words that I use because they trust is coming from a good source. So you said that you were actually, you struggled with stuttering when you were a kid, mm -hmm. and now you speak on stages to large groups of people, and you spend a lot of your time having to use that voice. <laughs> I imagine that there were a lot of uh, mental barriers that had to be broken through in order to get to that point. Can you yeah. elaborate on that a little oh, bit? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm glad you picked that out. So most people have never stuttered. Uh, but those that do understand that there's a lot of anxiety that comes about. There's a lot of nervousness. Um, and if you're smart, like I was, you just don't talk. And I didn't talk because I want to be teased. Nobody wants to be teased. No matter what the thing is, nobody mm -hmm. wants to be teased. But excuse me, what I learned. I couldn't say my THs when I was younger properly. So I got the same thing. See, everybody, right? A speech impediment. You, you, so for you, you found other words to use that didn't start with TH, right? Mm -hmm. So naturally, you became a better speaker because you found ways to use other words that meant the same thing. Mm. So as a stutterer, I couldn't say anything started with an S, a W, a T, a D, or a B, right? So that 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 limits me to 21 other alphabets. But there's a lot of synonyms in the English language, so you learn how to speak. But what I learned as a canine handler, my first deployment, if I'm not mistaken, so you're sitting there, and I would just talk to my dog. My dog's name was Clint. And I would, because our shifts were like 12, 15, 16 hours, middle of the desert. It's just you and this beat up pickup truck and your dog. And I would have long conversations with Clint because obviously he's not talking back, but he would respond with his facial expressions. And in hindsight, so once I got out of the military, I met a speech therapist. And what she did with her kids um, that she, that were clients of hers, she would have them speak, she would have them read out loud to a panel of stuffed animals. And the kids would just read. And I remember, wow, like when I talked to Clint, my dog, my canine, I never stuttered. And the reason I stuttered was because I didn't want to be judged. Right. And the reason these kids that this therapist that pronounced exactly the right way. Okay. So, you know, I just, as soon as I got out of school, people started, stopped messing with me about that one. So that's uh, <laughs> Good. kind of an interesting thing. But I, uh, even though it disappeared, I find myself being aware of it. So I find of it. Course. It's re it's a, it's very reassuring to have conversations with other people who are <laughs> you know have to have to have that awareness about that. You know, I still have an awareness. Like when I'm hungry, it might come out. Um, but I also know what words not to use when I'm hungry or if I'm tired and I got I've traveled now. I got to speak on stage. I know what words not to use, and I know mm -hmm. how to throw my voice enough to where it's not noticeable. So you said that you had to get to know Dom really well. That's going to look different for everybody, but what did that process look like for you? Because everybody really throws that around without giving anybody anywhere you to You know start. what? You're right. They do throw it around. Find my authentic self. Like, did you really, though? Because it doesn't, doesn't sound too authentic. Um, I So about a decade after law enforcement, I found myself uh, struggling mentally. Like I didn't sleep. And I thought I literally thought like an hour of sleep was normal because all my buddies, right? My my buddies, um, prior military, ex-cops, they all, man, I slept 45 minutes, I'm good. And I would get up in the middle of the night and go for like a four-mile run. And like an idiot, I would like, I was big on Instagram. I'd been doing videos I'm like you embrace the suck. If you can't do this, you suck. Like I was just that dude. I didn't know what I was doing in the beginning. Um and that's just how I was, I was dialed in. I felt I was being squared away. 
but then I realized like I'm making too much money to be sleeping in my closet um, with my Glock 26 under my pillow and my Benelli shotgun at the door. Cause I was very, I was uncomfortable with the darkness. I was uncomfortable with um, not knowing, feeling like somebody would come in the house. So I slept in a closet. I can control that entryway, right? Immediately, like I can engage, nothing ever happened. This was just all in my head. Um, at the time, I just wasn't wrapped too tight. And I think a lot of veterans deal with this. And I didn't want to call, I didn't know it was PTSD until I started talking to what I call normal people. They're like, yeah, bro, we're the same age. I get six to eight hours of sleep. Or like it started like my, you could see the stress in my face. Um, and then I didn't realize my family would, would walk on eggshells around me. And I'm talking about mom, dad, brothers, sisters. And one day I went to pick up my wife for lunch. Um, I was working from home and I didn't have the business I have now. And I went to pick her up for lunch and she just looked at me. She asked if I was okay. I was like, I'm, I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm squared away. I'm getting stuff done. And, uh, when I dropped her off, she looked at me again. She's like, you, you feel evil. And she's like, I don't, I don't know what it is, but we can talk about it. If, you know, when I get home, if you want. And as I left, I'm like. No, like, I don't want to be married to a woman that's afraid to be around her husband or for her, as she stated, she's like, I'm not, I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid for you. And she struggled with not knowing if one day she'd come home from work and see my brain splattered on the back of the wall. Hmm. And I went home that day at like one o'clock and then like every thing I've ever done uh, or every every dead body I've ever seen, everything I've done in a military law enforcement capacity just ran through my head. Just like in a TV show, like in a movie where the guy's sitting down and it's like his whole life just flashes in front of his eyes. Like it just, all the bodies, all the body bags, all the kids that I've seen dead, like everything just kept playing. And I started hearing this voice, kill yourself. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. Um, and, and I think, not think, I know God just put me in situations throughout my life where I would see people try to kill themselves in different ways and they would just not do well at it. Um, like I've seen a guy jump, you know, hit the, hit the ground. He's in a wheelchair. I saw a guy, he, after he murdered like four people, um, he turns the gun on himself and then blows out his jaw. So obviously we take him and he's in, in the hospital. I'm watching him. He's in horrific pain. And I have messed up so much in my life, just in general. I'm like, if I tried to kill myself, I'm going to mess that up. So I'm going to be the guy that either I don't do pills because I don't like I just don't like, don't like taking pills. I'm not going to shoot myself. So I'm going to mess it up. And I don't wanna, you know, this is this is all I got. Right. I don't have a bunch of muscles. I don't have hair. Right. At the time, I didn't have a lot of money. So I was like, I'm not trying to mess this up. But I just like I just kept hearing this voice. Kill yourself. Kill yourself. And I'm sitting there like, wow. Like I'm having two conversations with myself. What would it be like to be gone? Who would really care? And then the, the other conversation was like. Dom, you're too self-aware to like do this. Like, I'm not gonna kill myself, but the pressure, like, my body was so tight that I feel like if somebody would have stepped on my toes that day, I I, I would have hurt them. Like, I literally could have been in the grocery store. Somebody cut me off. I probably would have body slammed them, right? So I immediately got in my jeep um, and then went to the VA and went to the guy. The guy's like, "How can I help you?" I said, "I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know how I'm gonna get to tomorrow." So I need some help. And then uh, just kind of went from there. And then I immediately got into, you know, therapy, did EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization, 
response or something like that. Uh, did EMDR for nine months. That was that was meant. Did great with that. Uh, did some other therapies. I'm like, wow, this whole therapy thing is great. Started getting six to eight hours of sleep. Um, wasn't retaining a lot of stress weight. Um, started enjoying life. Started. My wife and I race motorcycles, but there has been several times where I'm on my motorcycle just in the helmet, looking like I'm having fun, but just going through the emotion, like just not knowing how to feel. Like I just, I spent most of my life not being able to feel. I didn't know, I know it's Christmas time, I'm supposed to be happy. I know how to play the part, but I didn't feel anything inside. I know it's my birthday, I'm supposed to be happy, but I don't know what that feels like. I just know what it looks like. Um, and that was like three years ago. So when I say work on self, I really mean work on self. Mm -hmm. Um, my wife will tell you, I wish she was here, but she's like the last three years, you've been so free as an individual. Like I don't curse, I don't smoke, I don't drink. I don't put my hands on my wife, very respectful relationship. But she's like, I know for a fact, you're never going to kill, kill yourself. I don't have to worry about you mentally struggling and then wondering what is it going to look like when I come home, right? That's a lot to clean up. Nobody wants to be bothered with that. So it's it's just been it's it's been it's been great. So that's what I mean by really working on on self, not just I read this book by this man and I you know I do ayahuasca and I sink myself in ice bath every day. Nah, that don't work. Not when you are really messed up in the head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the things in that process that i've seen is one of the most challenging things in general for people with ptsd is just the initial steps of opening up and having a conversation about it what did those initial conversations look like for you those initial conversations happened because they weren't for me they were for my wife and my son mm -hmm. i needed my son not to be afraid of his dad um, and not to think this is what fatherhood looks like and I needed my wife to have a peace of mind. Um, if it were just up to me, I would have never gone. And it, it, it was hard, very hard to go and sit down and talk to some Yahoo about my problems. Like, you've never done the stuff I've done. Why am I talking to you? Um, but it, it was, I, I promised myself that I would create an environment of peace in my household. And that started with, getting help so i just say you know what for the next year if i go to the va and if i don't get things my way i'm not going to flash i'm not going to flip out i'm going to go i'm going to make an appointment i'm going to stick to my appointments like i'm going to be dedicated to this because i don't like I, I i want my wife to be comfortable at home i want her to be comfortable with my silence with with me as a man and i'm like it's only going to make me a better person and it's made me a fantastic, and I mean, let me tell it, I'm a pretty awesome guy, but I wasn't prior to this. So for, and I, I talk to guys, I go on a, a hunting retreat, um, hunting retreat once a year, and majority of the guys there are veterans, and half of the guys there are tier one guys, um, whether they're SEAL team, whether they're Green Beret, whether they're, you know, Dev Group, it doesn't matter. But I, I had a lot of these guys on my radio shows, and then I would just talk to them like, bro, you, you, you could be better. Um, so going through the process was easy because my reason for going through the process wasn't about myself. It was truly about people I, I loved. And it just so happened 
benefited from it. Mm -hmm. So before we move away from the mental health conversation, yeah. is there any other advice or thoughts that you'd like to leave for any veterans or even just men in general who are listening? Yeah. Um, warriors get help. Mm -hmm. I learned to be, I was, I was told by a, a guy named Pastor Rudy. I met him at a conference. Um, he's probably a MARSOC. He's a Marine Raider and he's retired. And he does a lot of work in the space of um, human trafficking. And I asked him, how do you get comfortable? Like, how do I get rid of my violence, my violent tendencies? He said, you don't. You just be you become comfortable with them. And that really opened my mind to really loving Dom Fawcett, being comfortable with the violent man that I am. And I feel that it makes if you're if you have naturally violent tendencies, it, it makes you a better father. It makes you a better husband. Um, my wife feels very protected around me. Friends of mine that are females just naturally feel protected around me. Um, and I don't have to say anything. I don't have to boast. I don't have to brag. I don't, it's just my it's command presence. But if, if, if you're a guy, like be comfortable with your spouse or your wife or your mom or your sister or your brothers asking you to get help. Like they're not, nobody's died from getting help. If you get offended because somebody suggests you need to get help, you need to get help. Um, if you're not getting six to eight hours of sleep, you need to get help. If you're turning to alcohol and turning to, to drugs to cope with certain things, you, you need to get help. There was years that I was afraid to close my eyes, but I just said, F it. I'm just going to close my eyes and whatever night terror I have is what I have. And like, you don't have to live that way. So to the one person that's listening to the words coming out of my mouth, help's out there you have to want it more for yourself and trust me when i say when you get help you will find a level of happiness that you didn't even know existed hmm. well that's a uh that's definitely a heavy topic but it's one that people need to really touch mm -hmm. on more often and i think that the resistance to discussing it is one of the reasons that it has gotten to the point that it has. So I'm glad that we were able to talk about it. And I- uh, Great question, man. I'm glad you brought it up. The, uh, I appreciate your insight on it. Yeah, man, totally. So you have a book called Think, React, Lead. Uh, mm -hmm. What is that about? And what? how did that actually come to be? Um, so my brand is Think, React, Lead. Think as an executive, react like a soldier, and lead in every aspect of your life. And I utilize that, let's call it a mantra, for years prior to me even stepping into the space of being an entrepreneur or an influencer. Um, initially, the book was written because I knew I wanted to be a speaker and every speaker I knew up to that point had a book. I use my book as a business card. Um, it's got a workbook in it. The, the, the book is, is very, I'm a dude, I know dudes are. The letters are big, the, the, the paragraphs are short, the book's not long, right? It's a, it's a easy read. Um, it's just a, a look into who Don Fawcett is and to my style of, of coaching. Um, anybody who's writing a book, your your first book is not a memoir. Or your first book is not about you. It's really about what you do, right, and the good that you bring to this world. Um, nobody cares about your backstory because when you first write your book, ain't nobody going to read it. So I, I use my book so that when I get on stage, I'm introduced as you know, here's Dom Fawcett, executive coach, leadership speaker, author of um, Think, React, Lead, When Success and Accomplishments Aren't Enough. That's the full name of the book. 
And everything I've done has been for branding. Um, like eventually I'll have a command presence book. I think that'll be like a solid work, but everything for me is branding. Like I had a radio show for three years prior to starting a medical facility. And the reason I had a radio show over podcasts is because we walk into a room of a bunch of influencers, not knocking podcasts as I'm on one, but I, I, I want to command presence. I want to stand out. So if I'm in a room of a hundred influencers, 80 of them have podcasts, 20 of them are probably active. 10 of them are probably highly active. Five are probably good. No matter how bad my radio show is, the moment people find out I'm a radio show host, I go from the bottom of the barrel all the way to the top. Like, oh, this is Dom. He's a radio show host. And nobody thinks past their initial idiot thought of, I don't know why I think radio show hosts are cool. Usually people have never met one. And we're conditioned that if you have a radio show, you're smart, right? It's not for me to prove to you that I'm not smart. It's for, it's for you to just see me as smart. And if you, because of my radio show, it's all part of the brand. It's all part of the package. So for me, the book was just part of my brand. And then people started reading it. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. People are reading the book. I'm getting some nice reviews. Um, but it's, it's something for me to have something tangible that I can leave on desks or in work groups when I go somewhere. Because if I speak to corporations. If a corporation doesn't see that I have a book, in my experience, they may not take me that serious. But the moment I have a book, because most um, people with a college degree are taught. If you're an author, you're smart. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing the game. Um, and it, again, it just so happened people started to read the book. I like the book. Um, I promote the book. Uh, it's on my Instagram. The first three, you know, you can pin the things like I, it's, it's there. Um, and I'm very proud of the fact that I wrote the book, but I didn't hang out in that pride and like, oh, I'm an author. Nope. On to the next. Let's move on. So hopefully that answers your question. For sure. And you made a couple mentions about how you have a medical facility, but you haven't really said much about what that is and how you got into that space. So what, what, so can you elaborate on that a little bit and how that yeah, came? Totally. It's um so I own a medical facility with my brothers and my sister. Uh, my twin brothers, they're attorneys, my sister's a corporate executive, and then I'm an executive coach and leadership speaker. Um their our facility uh, helps people through their sobriety and uh, helps addicts get their get their families back. We started this a year ago. Um, how do we start it? Three years ago, we had a nonprofit. We still have a nonprofit. And we were at dinner. Just we have dinner. We have Sunday dinners, Sunday lunches. We just we're together every Sunday. And we realized we we're talking about how poor we grew up. But at the time, all of us were driving Porsches. Um, I had a 911 Turbo. My brothers just ordered and they received their 911 Carrera S all spec'd out. And then my sister has a convertible, uh, 2023 convertible Porsche. Uh, actually, 2022 was a year ago. But we're sitting there looking out the window like, you guys do realize we're all driving Porsches. We're like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Well, it's because we worked for this. But we we didn't have examples of what that looked like for us growing up. And we're like, why don't we just start speaking at schools? So we started speaking at like junior colleges and, and, and high schools just, just to give back, to educate people that look like us or people that in a low to moderate income space. And we weren't getting paid for this. It was just a passion thing. And we're like, you don't have to be a rapper. You don't, you know, I, all of us suck at sports, right? I can barely touch the net if I jump. If I jump too high, I'm going to probably break my ankle when I land. Like I'm just not coordinated with anything that re deals with balls. So that's why I race motorcycles. And 
we looked at our life and realized, you know, we could share this with other people that look like us. And, and just maybe that one conversation gives them hope and it gets them out of that situation. Um, and then COVID hit. So we had to stop speaking. Um, and then there's just that connection that like the virtual stuff, they just don't come across the same. And we were having a conversation, like, how, how do we take this to the next level? And then one of my brother's friends and one of my clients, so two separate situations, these guys have medical facilities. And we're like, if they can do it, we can totally do it. So we started a year ago and we started in like 2,000 square feet group that grew out pretty quick. Now we're in 14,000 square feet downtown Phoenix. And that's exactly what we do. We help um, people get through sobriety. We have a 12 month program. They can be here longer if, if, if they need to help them with their credit. We help them. I mean, just the basic stuff, how to live, life, life skills, um, maybe becoming an entrepreneur. Like there's just so many things that we teach them um, knowing their rights. Cause my brothers are attorneys, things that I think people should know. Um, and then people here don't. And we, none of us have ever drank, smoked, done any drugs. And when they get here, like our office is pretty nice and we respect them as individuals. We don't see them as addicts. Um, most of them don't know I'm an ex-cop. So it, they, they get to be around professionals and get treated like professionals. So when they go out into the world, their, their backstories don't negatively impact them. They're like, you know what? I'm getting a new lease on life. And I call my coaching and speaking good work. I call what I have the uh, ability to do here is called Feed Corporation, which is Fawcett Empowerment and Economic Development. Um, I call this God's work because when you see somebody come off the streets and then like almost a year later, they get their kids back. Like, I love my clients, but nothing compares to those moments. Mm -hmm. So it, that's incredible that you've really been able to build a life where it sounds like everything that you're doing really is pouring into other people at that point to help set the example of the one that you didn't have. So how do you actually carry the weight of that crown and make sure that you're showing up for the wife, for all these people that are looking to you, for your clients, and ultimately for yourself as well, man? You know, it's... it's... It, it feels like weight if you're not that person through and through, right? It's um, I think I think I think God gave me certain responsibilities um, at a very young age. I mean, being a firstborn, right? There's certain responsibilities there. Having to cook for my brothers and my sisters, having to fight for them. Um, having to be like just the warrior for them is where it started. Um, and then you join the military, right? You're, you're there to serve. And I, I remember my first deployment, I get off the, the C-130 with just stuff. I just got stuff, all my gear. And I, re I remember the pain that I had in my shoulders as I was walking through the tar off the plane, onto the tarmac, to my, my tent. And the more I walked with that stuff, the less it bothered me. And it's uh, going back to the crown analogy. The, I didn't start with the responsibility I have today. I started with small amounts of responsibility, me and my dog, my canine, and then becoming a cop, right? Me and my community. And then, you know, getting married, me and my wife, right? Really getting dialed in on who Dom Fawcett is. 
And there's certain things I live by. One of the things is um, change one life every day for the rest of your life. So when I go to the, like, it, it, it irks the heck out of me when I see somebody throw their money at a cashier, say at 7-Eleven. Like, if, if you're a cashier at 7-Eleven, I doubt in high school when they had career day, you're like, yeah, I want to be a cashier um, and risk getting robbed every day. And that'll be my job when I'm 35. No, usually you've got a couple kids, you, you're single. Maybe you have a couple, you know, your record's not that clean. And this is probably a second or a third job. It's not your primary source of income. And you're serving people all day long. So who, who am I to throw money at you? And then to take it to the next level, not only will I open my bills and hand them to you, I'm going to ask you how your day was. I'm going to ask you, I might give you a compliment, right? If I see somebody with tattoos, I'm, I don't have any tats, but I see that's a pride thing for you. Nice looking tats. Whether they're nice or not, like, who am I to say they're not nice? But that puts a smile on their face. Or if somebody cuts me off, okay, I'm not we're good. You cut me off. I, I really don't care because I remember when I was a cop, somebody cut me off. Long story short, I pulled him over and I'm like, bro, where are you going? Why, why are you driving like this? And his response to me changed my life. He said, I just got a call that my, my daughter who's on life support is about to be disconnected and I need to get to the hospital. So I escorted him. And so every time somebody cuts me off, I'm like, I don't know where that person is going, what they're going through. And then I just don't know what people are going through in general. So if I can just shed a little bit of light, change one life every day for the rest of my life, then it just becomes who I am, right? Um, I've had a lot of people over my house because to me, it's important people see Dom Fawcett on social media and realize he's the exact same dude, right? Whether you like me or not, I'm that dude at, at home. Um, I'm that dude with my wife. I'm that dude with my, my son. So there's just a, you mentioned the crown carrying the, the weight. I, I don't. I don't feel, I feel I have a responsibility to not even do good, to do great work, um, but I, I live it. I live it every day. And daily, I, like, I check myself. Like if I feel like I have an attitude, bro, why do you have an attitude? Mm, it's 2, 2 p.m. you haven't eaten. Or you, you know, somebody owes you money and that just rubs you the wrong way. Shouldn't, you shouldn't have let them borrow it, right? Mm -hmm. um, or you should have had your paperwork in place. You should have had contracts in place. Like it's my fault if somebody doesn't pay me because I should have been more business savvy so that that doesn't happen. I should have had more fail safes in, in, in place. Um, I feel that I've been given a blessed life, especially compared to where I, I, I grew up. I wake up every day, I see a lake in my backyard. Um, I have a wife who, who, who loves me. She doesn't sweat me about stupid stuff. Um, she doesn't check my cell phone. I can travel and speak at, at, at will. She's not checking on me all the time. Like she doesn't nag. And to me, that is the most beautiful. I, I'm at peace at, at home um, and I'm alive. And then on, on that, like what Dom does outside of the coaching and speaking, my mantra is if it can't kill you, it ain't worth doing. That's why I dirt bike. That's why uh, my wife and I race motorcycles. We have a garage full of motorcycles. Um, I skydive or I was skydiving until I messed up my back. So now I scuba dive. So there's just, there's nothing I won't do. Life's too short. I don't think life's short. Life is long. Our days are short. So what can I get out of, out of my day and who, who can I impact really is what it boils down to. And I, in a world of people that do what we do on social media, for me, it's really, I do it for me, but I do it also to stand out. Right. I'm, I'm very. I'm 
I feel I'm very real. Um, I've learned not to be so real because everybody can't take it. Uh, but that just comes with balance, emotional balance, and not and reading people, understanding that maybe somebody needs a softer version of Dom in this moment, right? Everybody doesn't need drill instructor Dom. So that's you know I'm I'm in that area of balancing now, but I and I think I'll always be in that 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 space. But I think it's just part of who Dom Fawcett is. So as it relates to your question about the crown and carrying the weight. When you do it for the right reasons, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like weight. It just feels like responsibility. But it's a responsibility because you've been given the opportunity to wear this crown. Love that answer, man. And I want to make sure that we are respecting your time and we've already gone just a few minutes over. So what is the best way for people to see more of Dom? You know, so I hate to say the word Google me, but that's really what it boils down to. But I, I'm a huge fan of Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Dom Fawcett on everything. And uh, I answer all my DMs. I answer most of my... That's it for this episode of Under the Crown. I hope you pick something up that makes your crown just a little bit lighter. If you did, I hope you'll take a second to leave us a review and let us know what it was. At Hephaestus Global, we are working hard to bring entrepreneurs and creators like yourself valuable resources and content that can help you get to the next level. If you feel that you have a story or expertise worth amplifying, make sure you head over to HephaestusGlobal.com to learn more about how you can amplify your message. You can also learn more about how we can become your megaphone and board of advisors to amplify your message to the right audiences while crafting a positive narrative around you and your brand.